0: Hey, welcome to episode four of the Learning to Preach podcast. Uh, In this episode, we want to talk about bridging the gap between an ancient text and the modern world. This is one of the great challenges of preaching. It's one of the reasons why a lot of people only preach the Pauline epistles and don't go to places like Job or Genesis or the prophets, uh, because there's so much more distance between that world and our world it's hard to know sometimes how do we effectively bridge the gap between what's going on in this very ancient text speaking about the nation of Israel in the Old Testament and the modern world we live in. I think that challenge even exists for the New Testament, but for some reason we feel a little more comfortable, especially with the epistles, because they feel like, oh, they're written to churches, and that's what we are. When you're talking about uh, the Mosaic Law, it's a little harder to understand. How do we bridge the gap between uh, God's covenant with Moses and the modern world? So we want to talk in this episode about how to bridge the gap as a preacher. So you've got an ancient text, and you've got a modern audience listening, um, and here's what we have to pay attention to. What are the elements of continuity? What are the elements of discontinuity? Both are always present in any biblical text. There's continuity, and there's discontinuity. In green over here on the board, I've put the three elements of continuity that my professor, uh, Richard Pratt, taught years ago, that have really helped me over the years. Uh, Richard said this, uh, no matter what time period in history you're preaching in, here's what we know. We have the same God, we live in the same world, and we're talking to the same kind of people. Not the same people culturally, not the same people ethnically, not the same people in terms of their place in history, But they're human beings like us. They have the same longings, the same concerns, the same fears, the same uncertainties. People are the same in their basic makeup, regardless of the cultural variables that make them different. And so it's helpful to remember anytime we're preaching a text, I like starting knowing, hey, whatever text you put in front of me in the Bible, I know God is the same. I know I'm living in the same world. And I'm speaking to the same kind of people. What are the elements of discontinuity? Well, there's a few we can think about. Number one, we've got elements of covenantal discontinuity. Um, What's the uh, disconnect or the discontinuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament and between various aspects of God's progressive revelation? So remember, we believe revelation is progressive, and what that means is it builds on past revelation, okay? Okay. And so if I'm dealing, for instance, with a text in the book of Isaiah, which we preached through a few years ago, Isaiah is writing to people living in the Old Testament, living in the nation of Israel at his time period. We're preaching that not only later than that, but also on the other side of the cross of Jesus Christ, on the other side of the resurrection, on the other side of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we have to take all of that discontinuity into account as we preach a text like Isaiah. We have to be faithful to what was Isaiah saying in his day, And how do we run that through uh, the appropriate adaptations in our day? Um, So let me uh, give you a real quick picture again. I borrowed this from Richard Pratt. Um, He talks about what he calls ICC, which this stands for Inauguration, Continuation, and Consummation of the New Covenant. Okay, so he says, hey... As we think about the, the, the New Testament, we have to remember the kingdom of God is inaugurated with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's being continued in the church age, and it's going to be consummated somewhere in the future. We live in the already-not-yet. We live between the first advent of Christ and the second advent of Christ. And so he says anytime you're preaching a text, he's, he used to talk about running it through the ICC. Meaning, okay, how does the coming of Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection Change the meaning of this text. How does the continu- How does the church age, the age we're in right now, the age of the Holy Spirit, the progress of the kingdom of God in the world? How does that affect this text? And how does the future promise of new heavens and new earth affect this text? Okay, let's use an example of something like Isaiah uh, sixty, which. Talks about the new heavens and the new earth, right? The the later chapters of Isaiah are very forward looking. They make promises about the new heavens and the new earth. And so we know part of what Isaiah is doing in that, even for his day and age, is he's pointing them to, hey, one day God's going to bring a new heavens and a new earth. That was true in Isaiah's day. It's still true in our day. So we can preach those aspects of the text. In the same way that Isaiah would have preached them to his audience, saying, hey, God is bringing in new heavens and a new earth. Here's what it's going to be like. Let's envision it. Let's imagine it. Let's look for it. Let's hope for it. Let's long for it. However, we also have to keep in mind that Isaiah is saying that to his people without looking at the cross of Christ. That's still in the future from his perspective. We need to say to our people, hey, and guess what? That age has begun in Jesus, that's the the good news for us. Is not just that's still in the future, but actually there's aspects of that that have already begun for us because of the coming of Jesus. We have even more reason to hope, even more reason to be optimistic than Isaiah did in his day, because the Messiah has come. Jesus has come to earth, and so we live now between his first coming and his second coming. Um, so. Those elements of discontinuity are going to affect how we preach any passage of Scripture. We're always talking about the same God in the same world to the same kind of people. But we are living in a different time in history, at a different place in God's progressive revelation, under a new covenant, and that affects how we need to think about and see the Scriptures. Now, uh, I think this inauguration, continuation, consummation model is helpful because it just makes sure that we don't oversimplify this process. Um, one phrase that uh, Richard Pratt used to say all the time was, "Facile imitation always leads to misapplication." In other words, um, think about uh, you know a story like Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac on the mountain. Right? And God says, "Hey Abraham, take your only son whom you love. Take him on the mountain, sacrifice him to me." Uh, this is an easy example to think about. Your job is not go do what Abraham did. That's an example of facile imitation, right? If it's like, well, I'm supposed to take my child up to the mountain and sacrifice him. Obviously, that's not what that text means for us. And none of us would read it that way because we intuitively know that. But take that example and place it in different places of Scripture, right? Um, How should we approach meat sacrifice to idols? Well, I don't know because we don't face that problem exactly, right? We have to ask what in our place in progressive revelation has the resonance in our day, that meat sacrifice to idols had for the apostles in their day? What's the correlation? We always have to be asking the question, what, uh, is the element for where we stand in progressive revelation, what is the element of discontinuity, and how do we run this, the, the principles and truths of this text through the covenantal framework so that we understand how we should be applying them in our day? Okay, um, so I think this just can give us a helpful rubric of how we bridge the gap. We don't, uh, don't want to um, miss the, the fact that there is a gap. We also don't want to just jump to Jesus, jump to the gospel. We want to try to show people that from the text we're preaching, whatever text it is, there's a, there's a connection between what God said here at this time to these people. And what God is saying to us and we're the same kind of people trusting the same God in the same world and so elements of that are going to be very very similar and also we live at a different time in history at a different place in God's covenantal revelation and therefore there are going to be elements of that that are different again here's a simple example right what do we do with the New Testament texts that talk about head coverings there are some people in our world that say women should cover their head because that's what the text says And though I disagree with those people, here's what I appreciate. They're taking the text seriously. They're saying, this is the word of God, and if it says this, we should do this. What we need to ask in that text is, how does it fit in God's progressive revelation? And is women covering their heads in worship the way for people in our day to apply that text in the same way that it was the way for the women in Corinth to apply that? Uh, As we work out the question of how is the context of 21st century America similar to or different from the context of first century Corinth, it helps us answer some of those questions and ask what's the abiding principle there versus what's the covenantal application that needs to be made based on where we stand in God's progressive revelation. Okay, Um, So having these two categories, what's the continuity, what's the discontinuity, is just a great starting point for us as preachers to know how do I think about preaching to the modern world from this ancient text? Guys, that's sort of my laying out of the content. What would be helpful here to process in more detail?
1: I think the one thing, just to add to what you're saying, the phrase that stuck in my mind when it comes to bridging the gap, these things are all built into it, but what did it mean to them then? What does it mean to us now? So that them then and us now thing has always been really helpful for me to ask the right kinds of questions and get after the right kinds of things. I think that's from David Helm, actually. Good. Yeah,
2: again, back to that, I think this is where it's so important to just have a wide array and a a vast understanding of the depth of Scripture or the overall arc of Scripture or the meta-narrative going on because I think that will really help knowing where it fits in you know does this Scripture actually anticipate the work of Christ or does this actually is it some way participating you know or is it about to participate in if it's the consummation of new heavens and new earth and so just understanding that piece always ask Gary Nebeker used to always ask us in seminary like Hey, where is this piece of scripture at in the storyline of the Bible? Yes. So I know we've done studies on that and yes. group work on that. And, and this is
0: just this is just the basic category of biblical theology. When we're asking questions of discontinuity or progressive revelation, we're just saying, Hey. Storyline is a great way to say it. We believe the Bible is one coherent story. Biblical theology is a discipline that seeks to understand how that story progresses over time and how do we find our place in that story appropriately.
3: Hmm. I feel like the key to what you said, Kevin, here with the them then and us now is the them then part. If you don't understand what this meant for that particular people at that particular time at that particular place in history, you're going to draw the wrong conclusions about what that means for us now. Um, And I feel like that's really, really essential, but also really, really challenging. That's why the the work of commentary work is really helpful to really get down to the depths of what does this actually mean, especially if it's strange or odd or far
2: removed from our context. mm -hmm. Well, I think we can use this, you know, too, as an opportunity in the pulpit to actually disciple our people and to read the Bible. Yes, Like we talk about that, man, we get so much traction in the pulpit you know and it's so integrated and it's so centralized that this can stem a lot of conversations individually and in groups of like we're helping people read this Old Testament text or this New Testament text without actually reading the New Testament into the Old Testament yes cuz like what you mentioned too is like we can't just skip to Jesus i know me in in the circle of like influence i came to faith was gospel centered preaching and teaching and so like i was just reading Deuteronomy and getting right to Jesus and like missing the whole understanding as like Jews with covenantal understanding of the law and and it kind of short-circuited my understanding of scripture and I think it can we can really miss a lot of opportunities in discipleship if we we actually don't give people a whole arc of scripture and a whole arc of understanding that so.
1: Bob, what would your encouragement be to someone watching this who's never really been used to reading the Bible covenantally or isn't used to that framework?
0: Um... Start with a simple work of biblical theology, something like um, Graham Goldsworthy's uh, The Unfolding Story, or I uh, can't remember the name of all his books, but he's really great on this, Gerhardus Voss, a book by O. Palmer Robertson called The Christ of the Covenants. Any simple book that will just give you a little bit of a sense of how the Bible fits together. That's one of the pieces that should be part of everybody's biblical training and sometimes gets left out, and it's just a helpful starting point to understand the, the the dynamic of covenantal revelation over time, progressive revelation, how the storyline of Scripture fits together. Uh, Von Roberts' book, God's Big Picture, is one that we've used throughout our church to just give the average person a sense of how the whole story of Scripture fits together as one coherent story. Uh, even you mentioned the Jesus Storybook Bible in a previous episode. That that you know anything that helps you get a sense of the storyline of Scripture, so you can begin to draw the lines between. Okay. They're living in the same story, but at a different place in the story. And so we make appropriate adaptations.
3: Bob, one of the categories that you've given me that's really, really helpful is a category of biblical theology. Uh, I came from the same background that Ryan came from and swam those same waters. And I was one of those guys who was just really quick to get to Jesus. When I discovered that all of Scripture is about Jesus, I just wanted to go there so fast. And a lot of times miss some of the nuance and a lot of the depth and a lot of the beauty of who Christ is and what he's done. Um, so that's one of the, the kind of shortcomings of missing biblical theology. What are some other dangers that we run into if we fail to understand the elements of continuity and the elements of discontinuity?
0: I think one, one thing I would add to what you just said as a failure is just it, it trains people poorly to read the Bible. Because the Bible is a story, and we have to see it as an unfolding story. And when we just see it as sort of a dictionary of theological truths, or a bunch of stuff about Jesus, we, we miss sort of the unfolding nature of the story, and that can lead us to um, even poor pastoral application right now, so here's, what's, here's what helps me. Uh, I like to think about the fact that, uh, you know think about the 400 years of silence between Malachi and the, the, the beginning of Matthew, right? And John, the coming of John the Baptist, for instance, or the proclamation to Zechariah and Elizabeth. If, if, you, if you realize like, hey, for 400 years, God's people has heard nothing, that story has a lot more power when you think about what would it would be like to hear no word from God for that long. And then all of a sudden someone comes and says, I've heard from the Lord. That's powerful, but it's a page in your Bible, right? And so when we miss the fact that that's, that that's an unfolding story, we can feel like our people need to know, hey, sometimes it's going to feel like a long time since you've heard from God. Like that's one of the actually applications of a text like that is to say, hey, guess what? Man, people in the Bible sometimes went a long time without hearing from the Lord. So if it's been a long time in your life since you heard a word from God, if it feels like it's been a long time since God's kind of showed up, that's normal. Um, Those kinds of pastoral applications are what come from good biblical theology. Um, Or in the same way, the connections the prophets made. When you look at how the apostles in the New Testament look back and read Psalm 2, for instance, and go, oh, that was about Jesus. You read Psalm 2 and you're like... I mean, I can see it. I can see that it. I can see how it connects to Jesus. But I, it did, how come, if that's true, how come Isaiah didn't notice it, or the Old Testament prophets didn't weren't more explicit about it? Well, it's because this is an unfolding story, right? And the New Testament apostles, having been taught by Jesus how to read the Old Testament, now are showing us how to read it. And so there's a sense of hey, for any, it gives you a lot of mercy and grace for people that have been in church their whole life and have missed elements of the story. We don't. We don't say, well, what's wrong with you? We say, well, guess what? Haven't all of us lived that way where we've just totally missed parts of the Bible that are really telling us something important. We just didn't see it until we saw it. So biblical theology, I think, helps us be better pastors and better shepherds of the flock, not just better preachers.
1: Bob, what would your encouragement be to someone who is feeling pretty apprehensive about preaching an aspect of the book of the Bible that they're not used to a genre? Maybe it's the prophets. Maybe it's the Torah, whatnot. Uh, what would be a simple encouragement for you of coming out of this? this You can do this.
0: Hey, there's so many good commentaries out there now that actually do help you do this work. You should not be intimidated to preach any part of the Bible. If you have access to some decent commentaries, which they're out there, you just got to go find them. Um, You shouldn't let any part of Scripture intimidate you. Now you will find it's harder to preach Leviticus or Deuteronomy than it is to preach Romans. That's just the nature of preaching. Um, but you know, for every one of us who's like tackling a book, that it feels like ah, there's a lot of work to do. I felt that when we did Isaiah; it's 66 chapters long. It's massive and it's dense with all kinds of Christological references, and there's a lot of work to do in a book like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can do it, and the commentaries will help you. And there's been so much good work done in biblical theology in the last 50 years that we have a lot more resource to go on here. Than our grandparents' generation did that were working without a lot of those tools. So I'll be encouraged that this is not hard. It's, it takes, the reason we're spending an episode on it is because we have to be intentional to, to think about it. But the work is possible to do, and you'll find good resources to help you do it. Yeah, I would say not only uh, can you do it, but you need to do it for your yeah. people. You, you mentioned at the beginning, which I thought was pretty insightful and pretty on. Most preachers wanna camp out in places where they feel comfortable. Yeah. When you think about your congregation, they're doing the same thing. Hmm. And the more you can preach from the Old Testament and you can, you can help them understand how to bridge the gap, you're giving them more confidence as well to go back and to do their own Bible study and mm-hmm. uh, to study maybe aspects of scripture mm-hmm. that they wouldn't do on their own normally. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that's hopefully some helpful uh, material on how to bridge the gap between ancient text and the modern world. Uh, In the next episode, we're going to talk about three keys to a great sermon. We'll see you then.